Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. More and more scientists think carbon capture is key to reducing CO2 emissions globally. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. That's the unexpected energy of ExxonMobil. Exactly the first day of school, but nevertheless, all 32 teams go back to work in some capacity this week. 18 today for OTAs, organized team activities. And we'll look at some of the questions, the biggest questions facing each of these teams who are on the field today. However, OTAs got off to a difficult start in the nation's capital. Linebacker Reuben Foster went down just minutes into practice. You can see him pounding the turf. He is upset. No official word on the injury just yet. We will continue to update you as we move along. I'm Wendy Nix and glad to have you on this Monday afternoon. Adam Schefter is here. Field Yates and Lewis Riddick will, of course, start with Reuben Foster and what has happened with the Washington Redskins. Third play of OTAs. And more and more, we see this happen with the fact that these teams don't have regular practices. You see guys go down every single year with injuries. You just hope that this one isn't serious. My understanding is is that the Redskins now are awaiting the results of an MRI on a left knee injury that didn't look good. He was carted off. He was crying. You usually can tell when these types of injuries are serious. Now, we should add last year, Garrett Bowles got carted off. The Broncos' former first-round draft pick was crying also, and he missed a couple of weeks. It did not turn out to be significant. So you never know, but this one did not look promising, encouraging, and the Redskins are awaiting the MRI results. There are a couple of different layers here. Obviously, first of all, the Redskins and what that would mean between the lines, but also field underscoring just a bit why players sometimes do not participate in these voluntary workouts because, to your point, Shefty, we see this early on every single season. Yeah, it's the risk that you run, and this is a player in Reuben Foster obviously has been through the most, one of the most unusual paths of the first two-plus seasons of a player's NFL career. But you're right. When you see a player like Odell Beckham Jr. who might have obligations other than Cleveland during the offseason, Wendy, moments like this are a gentle reminder that these players, ultimately their bodies are their temples and is their livelihood, and it's hard to begrudge these players who do not take part in what are clearly and unquestionably volunteer activities. For the Redskins, I think that head coach Jay Gruden is probably saying to himself, again, we led the NFL in terms of players to finish last season on the injured reserve. It started early with Darius Geis tearing his ACL in the preseason. It continued with devastating injuries along the offensive line and all over the roster. And here we are. And on May 20th, he's staring down the possibility of a player that at some point, Lewis, they were counted on to give him some legitimate sure. production, maybe not being available right away. Look, they've made a lot of an, invest, of an investment in this, in this football player, both professionally and personally. There are guys who really want to see Reuben Foster do very, very well. And look, I'll just say this. Look, the offseason conditioning program has already been condensed to the point where it's basically nothing. I mean, the on-field activities are what is starting right now in phase three. And having been through an offseason a couple different times in my career, I mean, at some point in time, you have to practice football. This is just unfortunately one of the things that happens that sometimes you go out there and you maybe you have a non look, obviously it had to be a non-contact injury here because you're not even practicing in pads. This is just what comes with the game. And unfortunately, it stinks. It stinks all the way because this is a guy who 
really needed to be back on the football field with his players, with his teammates, with his friends, and get his life going both on the field and off the field. And for it to go down like this, third play into the offseason program as far as on the field 11-on-11 activity, that stinks. And I can tell you, this is a gut punch to this organization, I can yeah. tell you that. Well, just to underscore what Adam said, it doesn't look good, but we don't know. We'll continue to keep you updated as the information becomes available over the course of the next 90 minutes. But we do move on now to one of the most talked about teams during the offseason for any number of reasons, and that would be the New York Giants. The G-Men did hit the field earlier today as well to begin OTAs. And among them, quarterback Eli Manning, who spoke and continues to speak right now for the first time since the Giants drafted his possible successor. Yeah, I think Daniel, uh, you know, throws it well and a uh, good kid. You know, it's just trying to pick up pick up the offense. I've been here two weeks, so uh, a lot going on uh, right, now, right, right now with his uh, just trying, you know, trying to learn the offense and protections and footwork and everything. So uh, we've all, you know, we've all been there, been rookies and and uh, learning it, but uh, seems to have the right attitude and, and doing some good things. Can you take us through your draft night when you heard he was picked? When you, uh, it's not very exciting, so <laughs> uh, just you know, just watched it and uh, um, you know got you know got the word from uh, Coach Gellman and Coach Shermer that they were going to draft him, and um, you know that's about it. What did you think of them uh, taking a quarterback? Uh, you know, I knew that was a, a strong possibility that they would take a quarterback, so. Um, you know, that's just, uh, you know, I was fine with it. Do you, do you feel a different kind of pressure entering this season to protect your job and to win, given that Daniel is now here? Uh, no. I mean, I think there's always, um, you know, uh, there, there, there's always an urgency to win, and, um, you know, your job is to go out there and, and find ways to, to try to get that accomplished and to, you know, play good football and be a good leader and be a good teammate and all those things. So, I don't think anything changes from that aspect. How much different is it, or how much added responsibility is there to do all of those things, but also kind of mentor Daniel Jones along? Does that go into that part of being a leader and teammate? All those things? No, no added responsibility. I think the quarterback room always works the same, uh, you know, no matter who's in there. And so it, it's still, uh, you know, you're always willing to, to help uh, and just talk football with all the guys uh, that are you know, that are willing to be helped in, in that sense. Where you know, just uh, you know, every day we're gonna sit there. We're gonna watch. Uh, you know, you're gonna watch practice with the coaches. You're also gonna watch practice. Just you know, a lot of times just with the quarterbacks even before you get, the coaches get in there. And you know, you don't just watch your own reps. You you walk, you go through everybody's reps. You talk about uh, the decisions, the things that could have been done better, the protections and. Um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, what, what it's like to make decisions and, um, you know, when, when the, the live bullets are rolling. And, um, uh, you know, um, so I think there's, you know, it's always, uh, uh, you know, everybody, everybody helping each other out uh, in the quarterback room. Again, 18 teams beginning OTAs today, and they started by saying, well, look at some of the bigger question marks for each team. I, I don't think you can talk about the Giants, Lewis, without talking at first about the quarterback position. So mm. I'll phrase the question this way. You heard, Eli, what percentage chance do we see Daniel Jones start at some, at point, some point during yeah. the season? I'd say it's 50-50 now because I think, look, obviously there's expectations that come with being the sixth overall pick. There's expectations that come with a guy who has been trained in David Cutcliffe's type of offense, a guy who should assimilate pretty well into what Pat Shermer wants to do offensively. And someone who everyone in New York knows, including Eli, is the future. And I think 
that the more he performs at a high level in these OTAs in, um, and in the early part of training camp and hopefully in preseason games, I think the more people are going to get anxious to want to see their new toy and kind of unveil him and put him out there on the football field and see what he can do. It's just natural. It's just one of those things that happens. Now, if they're a 6-0, 7-0, 8-0, of course they're not going to put him in there. But they will look for an opportunistic time to play him if the situation warrants itself. Make no mistake about it. I don't care if it's Eli Manning or not because they made a huge investment in the kid. Huge. Hmm. You don't just let that just sit there if it warrants him playing the game based on his performance. And as we were talking about earlier before the show began, this is the pick. It's going to be one of the few moments that defines the legacy of Dave Gettleman as the Giants general manager. And so there are sort of two ways to what Lewis was getting at that Daniel Jones takes over as the starter. Either Eli Eli Manning plays his way out of this starting job or the Giants play Eli out of this starting job because of the rest of the team not being able to carry its weight enough for this team to be competitive. At some point, even though there's only 16 games, you might have to turn the page towards 2020 and beyond and say, you know something? We're 5-8, and 5-9 and nine, the last couple of weeks of the season, and Philadelphia or Dallas has run away with this division. What do we have to lose versus sure. what can we gain by getting an extended audition in for Daniel Jones with some of the pieces that might be around for him long term? And I think that's the key. I think the Giants are going to give Eli Manning the chance to go salvage this season and to make a run and a push. And if he can do that, he'll remain on as the starting quarterback. But the moment this team slips up, you tell me it's record at the break. If it's below 500, if they're lagging in the NFC East, at that point in time, Daniel Jones is on the clock. Look, just take a look at this right now, right? Eli Manning comes out in the same quarterback draft class as Ben Roethlisberger of the Steelers and Phillip Rivers of the Chargers. Have you seen either of those teams use a first-round pick on a quarterback? No. Have you seen Ben Roethlisberger sign an extension this offseason? Yes. Have you seen Philip Rivers sign an extension? They're Soon, talking about yeah. getting one done. Have you seen the Giants approach Eli about a new deal? No. All they've done is use the sixth overall pick on a quarterback. So just look at the facts. They all tell you that they're getting ready to turn it over to Daniel Jones. But really, Eli Manning and this team control how much longer he will be at the helm. You, you don't have to be a fortune teller, to your point. Just read the tea leaves. He so might to be speak. a fortune It'll tell so. you. It will tell you. Uh, Meanwhile, side note, meanwhile, across the hall, if you will, with the Jets, they don't start OTAs until tomorrow. Nevertheless, they have some questions and a job to fill, mainly the GM position. Listen, this is a search this week that I think will kick into the next round. It was last week that they made the change. We've heard various names. I still think that Joe Douglas, the Eagles VP of player personnel, it's his job to lose. Now, it doesn't mean that he winds up becoming the general manager of the New York Jets. But this is a guy you've heard in connection to this job for weeks now, not just after Mike McCagnan was fired. And so I think they'll speak to Joe Douglas at some point in time. I think if they could get something worked out, they will. They'll speak to other candidates. Other candidates will have the chance to impress them. You don't know how these interviews and this process goes. I still think Joe Douglas, again, is the favorite and also, Peyton Manning, he will not be the next general manager. So okay, Peyton because that's a rumor you no, hear. And people happening. love to float that out we, we there. We can move on. But so you mentioned it. You know, Joe Douglas is the favorite. It may be amongst Joe Douglas to decide if he wants to take this job at some point, too, which although there are only 32 of these jobs and they're prestigious and they're, and they're fleeting in some ways for many people that work in the scouting community, you still have to put your pen to the paper and actually decide if you want to take this job. And right now there seems to be some tumult within the organization. You might contend, though, that part of the reason why Joe Douglas is on the radar is because he and Adam Gase have such good cohesion that they would basically put all that tumult to bed pretty quickly. 
The good news for the Jets is right now they're not competing with anybody. So if they want to take their sweet time here, Lewis, sure. no one else is looking to hire a GM right now. Well, they might as well just go ahead and fill the job. Because, we, look, you know where it's going. You know where it's heading. Why? Because of the relationship aspect yeah. of it. You know that, really, Adam Gase is going to run this general manager search. That's what, came, that's what it came down to between him and Mike McCagnan, right? It came down to relationships. So, really, right now, what would it benefit the Jets in order for Chris Johnson to say, this is who I think is the best GM candidate to kind of come in here and, and write the ship and this forward visionary thinker? No, you need somebody who's going to come in and be able to work with Adam and see things the same way and, and agree on the value of running backs and agree on the value of pass rushers and agree on the value of whatever position you want to talk about and get along and see things philosophically the same. So, if that is Joe Douglas then let's just cut through the you-know-what and go ahead and get, get it done with him because that's what's most important no matter what I think or anybody else really thinks. It's about that relationship. Simple as that. But they have, to to see, they have to see if they can get it done with him, right? You have to sit down. True. You have to get the contract worked out. You have to work out the dynamics of the job. So there's a process. It's not just simple. Give him the job. Well, it's – actually, it's, it is pretty simple. But nevertheless, <laughs> we'll see what happens here. Well, again, 18 teams back at work today for OTAs. In fact, we'll see all 32 teams, every team in the league, will be on the field at some point this week. And among them, at least today, the Los Angeles Rams, they are starting the process of putting last February's Super Bowl loss squarely in the rearview mirror. Questions there, though, continue to swirl regarding the long-term health of Todd Gurley. And I think that's a good jumping-off point, Field. What is the biggest concern for the 2019 iteration of the L.A. Rams. Served right up on a tray by you right there, there Wendy. It's, what is the health status of Todd Gurley? He has been coy at times. Sean McVay, during the Super Bowl week, said, hey, listen, he's all, all systems go. He's fine. He's good. No health restrictions. And yet Todd Gurley, in a couple of brief comments this offseason, has seemed to indicate that, hey, it may not be fully 100% now. And people are starting to wondering, will it ever be fully 100% again? This is a player who has been unbelievable in terms of production over the past four years, but it's not about what you've done, Lewis. It's about what you can offer going forward. Yeah, look, big picture, too. This offense was ninth in the NFL in terms of rush percentage. They are a running football team that really emphasizes getting after people on the perimeter with a big physical downhill back like this. And that's why you go ahead and then maybe you draft a guy like Daryl Henderson as well, which, Adam, I know you're gonna, you were going to talk about him. That's why you just pointed at me. But you know what? I talked about him during the draft, so you're going to have to hold on. But anyway, no. In all seriousness, he means something to them, not just running the football, but he means something to Jared Goff's success also. He means something to this defense's success also because they're so balanced and they can attack you in so many different ways. When you don't have that body type, you don't have that profile, well, I can throw a lot of things into a state of flux. There was not a player, a running back in this draft, that Sean McVay liked more than Daryl Henderson. Interesting. They got Daryl Henderson in the third round. They loved him. I think he would have been a first-round talent on their board. And so, to me, that's somebody that I'd have my eye on in the future. All right. Sure. Shefty fantasy notes. Filing these away right now. says, mark it down. Fantasy so notes. you're saying he has sponsorship. Oh, Lewis Riddick's oh, among his favorite words. Well, he's got there sponsorship. There it is. There it is. All right, look, uh, after what was basically a lost season, if you will, for the San Francisco 49ers because they lost their quarterback in week three to a torn ACL, they were also on the field for OTAs today. And Garoppolo continues to make strides. The hope, of course, that he could be ready sometime around training camp when it rolls around in late July. So the 49ers get not one, but two players back from ACL injuries, begging the question what we might expect from this offense. Well, it's a huge deal. If you think about the role that Jarek McKinnon was going to have last year, they had huge plans. And now they go out 
and they sign Tevin Coleman and they get back Matt Breida and the backfield gets healthy. So they're loaded back there with Jarek McKinnon being the type of weapon that they could do a lot of different things with. Now, he's been rehabbing with Jimmy Garoppolo. They've been training together. They're both on track to be ready for this summer. And if both these guys come back, that should be a big boost for this offense. And I think if you're looking for a plus side to guys going down with injuries like Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, you see a guy like Nick Mullins, the quarterback, step up and prove that he can play in this league. But you look at the veteran moves and the acquisitions, there it is. They've acquired some pretty good players there. Jordan Matthews has looked good, too, during OTAs. They've been impressed with him. Now they got to keep on your fancy radar there. i got to have a full notebook by the end of the show. Yeah, just just you wait. This is an important year. This is an important year in San Francisco. Start to, it's time to start making good on all of the investments that they have made during the two years of John Lynch and Kyle Shannon as the GM and the head coach. Injuries obviously bit them uh, yeah, last Yeah, you need year. those investments there's, to stay I, healthy, clearly. But there are some yeah. expectations this there's season. No, there's no question that this is one of the better coach teams on the offense side of the ball. The question remains on the defensive side, can they get the most out of the people that they've invested in? Because that right now is the Achilles heel of this football team. Can they rush the passer? Can they stop explosive plays down the field? How much is left in the tank for a guy like this and Richard Sherman? But on the offensive side, despite all the injuries, Kyle is able to continue to work his system, his philosophy, just like his dad did back in Denver, back in San Francisco, in Washington. He's done it his entire career, and Kyle will too. But they've invested so much in the defense. There's so much talent there that it's hard to imagine that they wouldn't be able to get what they need from this defensive front. If they can, that's a problem because there have been so many high picks up there. DeForest Buckner. A really good player. D. Ford. Sure. Nick Bosa. Yep. Solomon Thomas, they believe, is poised to bounce back this year. Obviously, some things he had to deal with in previous seasons, but I think that they feel like all these guys together should make this defensive front pretty yeah, strong this year. We want to see what they can be. do yeah, yeah. on yeah. the field together. Speaking of investments, there is no more questions, or are no more questions, I should say, regarding the long-term future of quarterback Russell Wilson. He signed a big deal with Seattle last month, and so they've got their quarterback locked up through 2023, and they can turn their attention elsewhere, which they have no choice but to do, because as we've seen fields and big money for Wilson, but there are other holes to fill on this team. Yeah, I think defensively it's about can they generate pass rush? They traded away Frank Clark in a deal that they did because they wanted flexibility going into the draft process and not believing they had the, the, the resources to potentially lock him up and eventually Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, other guys that are going to be paid, Jaron Reed, eventually. So it's not just can they find pass rush, which would be catalyzed by not just L.J. Collier, their first-round pick, but Ziggy Ansah recently signed, and also wide receivers. How do they account for what Doug Baldwin meant to them? I understand last year was not his best and most productive in terms of on-field numbers. Doug Baldwin is one of the unique players and personalities in this locker, and this guy is a sensational leader. He's a guy that can show you by example for young guys. An undrafted free agent became one of the best wide receivers in football. He meant a lot to the culture of Seattle. So finding a way for Tyler Lockett to build off last season and then building some depth around him and giving Russell Wilson the requisite weapons to be yet another MVP candidate. Yeah. Question remains also as far as wide receivers are concerned. D.K. Metcalf, although he's not up on the screen here, there's been a lot of talk about D.K. being a much better all-around wide receiver than what he showed at Mm -hmm. Ole Miss. Now, that remains to be seen how that looks when he puts on pads and it's 11-on-11 against defensive backs pushing him around. But this is a guy who really could wind up taking, maybe, I don't, I don't want to say he'll take the league by surprise, but he's been really kind of like put into the box of being a big vertical straight line route runner, which many people are saying that is not true because he tore it up in their rookie minicamp. We'll wind up seeing. And then on the other side, when we had Ziggy Ansah's picture up here, one of my favorite players in the NFL, he just can't stay healthy. Yeah. 
it's always something with Ziggy that keeps him off the football field. But as far as athletes are concerned, you won't see a better one. Only four players, by the way, on that Seahawks roster that played against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So Life there has, changes fast. Yeah, it does. Yeah. There, there has been some turnover. I'm pretty sure our new house might be haunted. What makes you say that? The furniture is levitating. Oh, and the ghost. Welcome home. Yeah, that's that's spooky. You know what's really scary? Missing out on GEICO for help with homeowners and renters insurance. GEICO makes it easy to save a bunch. Great. Uh, you're not sticking around, right? The party's just getting started. <laughs> Happy geico Call today and see how easy homeowners and renters insurance can be. The teams that are back at work today, we mentioned earlier the New York Giants. We've talked about them so much during the offseason. That's for not going to change. All kind of reasons, Field, and it's not going to change. They drafted a quarterback, Daniel Jones, with the sixth pick. That got a lot of folks' attention. They have an aging quarterback, Eli Manning, who will play this season at 38, and possibly they have drafted his successor. All of that is true. What's also true is Sal Palantonio is all over all of it. He's with the Giants, and I will turn it over to you now, Sal. Hey there, Wendy. You could take the possibly out of it. They definitely drafted the heir apparent to Eli Manning. You don't take a quarterback at number six, Daniel Jones out of Duke, and then sit him for three years, as was suggested earlier. So this is a delicate dance between Eli Manning and Daniel Jones within the confines of trying to rebuild this team and get back to the playoffs right away. Is he mentoring Daniel Jones or is he trying to win football games? Here's my one-on-one conversation moments ago with Eli Manning. Uh, you know, uh, Co- Coach Shermer and, Coach and uh, Dave Gettleman called me and told me uh, that they were, uh, you know, they were going to take Daniel with the sixth pick, and so I, you know, I got a heads up. I knew they were going to uh, get a young quarterback this year. There was no surprises, and, and knew there was, a, you know, strong possibility they'd take one with that sixth uh, spot. So, uh, you know, no, no surprises on that end, and um, you know, kind of just just watched and, and also. Uh, wait to see who you know who we got at 17, and saw the trade to to get uh, you know someone else at uh, what, either 30 or 31. So uh, just you know taking in the whole draft, and um, you know I still got to do my job, and I'm still here playing quarterback, and uh, want to go out there and, and do well. And it looks like you've been working out hard this off season, and now the process starts, right? You got to try to win games for the New York Giants, and also maybe mentor. There's that word, mentor, Daniel Jones. How do you do both at the same time? Well, I think it's just being, you know, you, you're, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, just be be a good person in the quarterback room, and I think uh, nothing changes on that mm-hmm. sense. I got I got my job to do to prepare and and to go out there and win, win football games. And uh, some but, guys will say it's not my job to mentor; it's my job to win games. Well, I think I think you know, just the way it's always been in, in the quarterback room here is that you know you're, you're going to stick around uh, after practice and watch film. You're going to you know, before before you watch film with the coaches, you're going to be watching the practice, and I don't just watch my plays. I watch, you watch everybody's plays, and so today we're you know we're sitting in there. And mm-hmm. We have Alex Tanny and Kyle and and um, you know and, and 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 Daniel, and so you're all you know you watch you watch the whole practice. And you and, know Daniel, you grew up, you watched him grow up, right? Right. I mean, I know I don't know if I watched him grow up, but you have know, known him the last couple of years, last three or four years, and so. It makes it easier, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, but it's just you're in there and, and you know you're just you're watching the whole practice and hey you need you know you need to make this call on on this or hey you you see the rotation let hey if you have you know it's just an open 
it's kind of a free for all, and we're just talking football. And I think it's a it's a great way for us. And you know, again, I'm only second year in this offense. Is you know, if you can ask a question, if I can explain it, it means I know it. And if you know it, then you can go and produce it and play well. And so it's just being uh, being an open uh, open form kind of the quarterback room when there's the quarterbacks in there. And um, you know, if he's if he's willing to sit in there and 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 listen and take notes and ask good questions, then you know he'll have that opportunity to. to uh, uh, to learn and be successful, and then I can go down as being a good mentor. I guess. Pat Shermer said, "You're the starter, and uh, it's Daniel Jones' job to get himself ready for Week One." How do you interpret that? Uh, yeah, I think say, so. hey, uh, you know, as you said, I'm, I'm the starter. It's my job to, to, to you know keep that job, to earn that job, and and to get ready for Week One. And just like everybody, everybody's. Uh, fighting for jobs and fighting for position and, and fighting to do the best they can, and, and that's that doesn't change. I've been in Daniel's shoes before, and it's and, and I get it. You know, you want to go out there and, and do the best you possibly can, and uh, yeah, I want I want everybody on the team to do well, whether it's rookie receivers or offensive linemen, quarterbacks. You want everybody to play you know play well and, and do their part and and have a chance to be successful. Well, he's got a great mentor. Thanks a lot. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Thanks, Sal. Yes, sir. Wendy, let me give you two notes off that interview and the practice today. One, I watched Eli Manning in practice today. First of all, he's definitely trimmer. He's definitely slimmer. He's moving around better. And his live, his arm was live. It was really strong. You could tell he was really spinning it out in practice. And after that interview, Wendy, I said, do you want to play beyond 2019? Remember, he's an unrestricted free agent in 2020 if the Giants don't extend him. And he said he definitely wants to play in 2020, whether it's here or somewhere else. He didn't say that part. That's my interpretation. All right, fair enough, Sal. Thank you. We will continue, of course, to talk about the Giants. Unfortunately, we will also talk about the Redskins this afternoon because OTAs got off to a difficult start. Reuben Foster carted off the practice field with a leg injury just three plays in to OTAs. It is still unclear the severity of that injury, Shefty, but uh, look, we don't know, but it didn't look great initially. Well, Jay Gruden moments ago said that it's quote-unquote very concerning, and he didn't want to say what the injury is, but he said that he wouldn't be laying down crying, pounding the floor if it wasn't a serious type of injury. This is a team that's had a lot of injuries. This was the third play of OTAs. It was a non-contact injury. When you suffer a non-contact injury on the third play of OTAs, go down and are crying, you know something is wrong with that knee. He's having the MRI. They probably have the results back by now. They're probably deciding how to handle that information. It doesn't bode well. Jay Gruden's comments, the look on the field, for Reuben Foster, clearly I think we all have a sense of where this is headed and we'll wait to see what the MRI actually reveals. And he was a projected starter for Washington, probably alongside his former college teammate Sean Dion Hamilton, who stepped in for Zach Brown at the end of last season. So a key player for a defense that you can look at it in terms of front-line players is, is one of them. That, that's the strength of their roster was their front seven. But depth was going to be a concern. And if Reuben Foster misses significant time, it's probably going to be Sean Dion Hamilton and Mason Foster all of a sudden at the inside linebacker spots. And Reuben Foster, who has obviously been has – had, has had so many twists and turns in his career early on. But the yeah. talent is apparent. And that was the reason why the Redskins were willing to take the risk and gamble on him. He avoided the suspension. He's been fined two game checks, but it sounds like those two game checks might be games that he's not even a part of anyways. Well, he was being set up for success in Washington. 
Okay, he had a lot of people around him that were rooting for him, that he was familiar with, that he was comfortable with, that were pushing him along and helping him trying to keep Ruben making good decisions. He's in a scheme that he's very, very familiar with. He's going to be playing a position within that scheme that he has played at a very high level. And if you back it all the way up to remember what Ruben Foster's film was like at Alabama, this kid is a fantastic, fantastic football player. So on all accounts, now he's off. Now, presumably, he'll be off the football field. He won't be able to play. He won't be able to be out there with his teammates. The Redskins won't have him on the field playing where he's a fantastic player. So if this you know, turns out the way Adam's saying it's going to turn out more than likely, Everybody loses here, and that's unfortunate. Regar- I mean, that's very unfortunate, and that, that's heartbreaking for this young man who, was, who, needs, who needs to be on the football field and to be around these guys and be playing and making sure that he's doing the right thing. Well, to Adam's point, it's quite possible that the results of those MRI or that MRI are back, and it's just not public yet. We'll continue to follow this and let you know as soon as that information is available. But just to recap our top story this afternoon, Reuben Foster carted off the practice field with an apparent leg injury. He was in tears and apparently in a decent amount of pain. Uh, Coach Gruden saying it does not look good, or I should say more accurately that it was concerning. So we'll continue to follow this story. Well, we continue our theme this afternoon, and that is teams who take the field for OTAs. We'll see all 32 at some point this week. 18 began their OTA program today. Among them, the Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. They, of course, have some big shoes to fill with the departure of Rob Gronkowski. They did not, however, opt for a tight end in last month's draft. Having said that, Lewis, there are some who argue that this might have been Bill Belichick's best draft to date. Yeah, look, and I'm one of them who may believe that it may be his best draft today because just look at some of the players that they've gotten. Look, Nikhil Harry is just a monster of a wide receiver on the outside that maybe you know, that Bill, of the likes that Bill's never drafted before. He is going to be a dynamite weapon provided he can get on the same page with Tom. We know there's a lot of stuff that's going to need to be worked out here, but he has that kind of ability. Um, there's just so many. There's so many other players here. When you think about the offensive linemen that they drafted, Kajus, Froholt, these are guys the kind of guys that Dante Scarnecchia will turn into starters. Damian Harris, another running back, another guy to add to the stable that they already have. So I mean, there's just there's just so many guys here that I think will wind up being, if not day one contributors, they will absolutely be role players this year and maybe starters down the line here. And look, I didn't even mention my favorite out of this entire group, and that's Chase Winovich from from Michigan, who I think will be a double-digit sack guy very quickly, if not in his first year in the league. What's interesting is the Patriots haven't drafted a pro bowler since 2013, but you know what? Who who cares? It hasn't stopped them, Phil, from winning three Super Bowls. You know what? And they, at the end of last season, Kyle Van Noy sort of you know, said, hey, famously, like, you know, we, you guys can have your stars. We've just got elite defensive football players that fit. And for the Patriots, if you look at their roster, I would argue they're middle class of their roster, as in the players that are somewhere between 10 and 40 on the roster is as good as there is in the NFL right now. And the draft Lewis just touched on in free agency, it was a little bit quieter relative to other notable acquisitions around the league, but they got guys like Jamie Collins, Jared Valdir, and Demarius Thomas on one-year contracts that the upside, if those players hit the upside, will be absolute steals. If Demarius Thomas reaches all his incentives, it's the steal of the offseason. They're all low-risk propositions. There's very little to lose. If the guys wash out and don't regain the form that they once had, so what does it matter? They don't lose anything. It's not hurting their compensatory draft pick formula. Yep. They're not giving them very much money. In a best-case scenario, they recapture their form and play great. In a worst case, they move on to the next young player and rely on those 10 to 40 in the middle class 
of the roster. It's chess. Yeah, it really and just, is. And just yeah. how bad would it be if I didn't mention the one guy on that list? Jared Stidham, the fourth round pick. That's right. Mm. From you have to. Catch I have, of course you I have do. to. It's not a Patrick Mahomes type of love affair yet, but it may be. We I like never that know. you caveat with yet. We have time. You're sponsoring okay. him? We have, I'm abso- sponsoring, sponsoring him, absolutely. He's That's got take my, two. He's got my ad dollars. Let's just, let's just put it that should way. Be like so an are NFL you anointing game. him the successor to the GOAT? Well, I know this. In, in eight years. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe when Tom's 60. At 54. 50 when he's my age, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, but you just know that he's at a program now where it's going to be – look, I like to say that teams like to ruin players. Not this time. Jared, it's on you, bro. Yeah. Yeah. No, no one's going to argue that yeah. into England. We'll Good luck. You won't, you won't have that as a cross to bear. Yep. Uh, it's been an inauspicious beginning to Josh Rosen's NFL career. However, the opposite situation, the quarterback traded just a year after the Arizona Cardinals traded up in the draft to draft Rosen. He now finds himself with the Miami Dolphins, where protection may once again prove to be a problem. Is he in a better spot protection-wise? Lewis, I know it's like uh, great, but is it look better? Miami Dolphins quarterbacks were sacked fifty-two times last year. That's a lot. Okay, That's a lot. it's in the bottom quarter of the league now. Ryan Tannehill, if you go back and watch all of their sacks, which I have done, a lot of these sacks that Ryan took last year are on him. He is one of those guys who likes to hold the ball too long. Anticipation throws are not his forte, and you sit there and you get frustrated and you feel bad for the offensive line at different points in time. But there's no question here that both guard positions and the right tackle position in Miami are in a state of flux. They are not of the caliber that you need in order to put a guy like Josh Rosen behind there and say, hey, look, we'll be able to evaluate you fairly because we think you're going to get great protection here. It's all going to be a work in progress. It really is. That's why I think at the end of the year, if you're looking at whether or not Josh Rosen has reached his potential, you better remember context because he's probably going to take, he's going to take some lumps this year. Because the people around him just aren't that good. Well, he took some lumps last year, so. Well, so I was say it's a different so team two. and different coast, but there are a lot of striking similarities. Yeah. Like, how do you expect a player to show his full potential as to why he was the 10th overall yeah. pick in the 2018 draft when you've got an offensive line that's patchwork, as Lewis said, other than Laramie Tunsil, who's a star? The wide receiver group, though, seriously, like, we're looking at players that like, are probably in, in best-suited roles as third or fourth wide receivers sure. in a lot of cases, right? I mean, Albert Wilson was a nice pickup last offseason until he got hurt. But the wide receiver group is uncertain. The tight end position leaves something to be desired. Kenyon Drake is a player that, you know, it never felt like Adam Gase was willing to get fully committed to him as an every-down back. Will that be the case now under, you know, the new staff of Chad Osei and also Jim Caldwell? But it's going to be a long – it could be yeah. – it, it is probably by design – Going to be a long year in Miami. It's going to take, I think, some of the fortitude that we saw from Josh Rosen late last season to power through another year like this. Well, hopefully, hopefully that serves him well because I do think I will say this: when he was introduced in Miami, and it's you know it's an intangible and it's a one-time thing. But I heard a different person. I heard somebody who'd been humbled. I heard somebody who perhaps matured, who'd been through the fire, so to speak, of an NFL season, and he sounded. You different. mentioned Jim Cobble. I think it's great that he gets to spend a year, a season, around somebody as impressive as Jim Cowboy, and you'd like to think that he'll learn a lot from him, both on and off the football field. And if he learns it and he plays well, guess what? Maybe he is the Dolphins quarterback of the future. And if he doesn't play well and he doesn't learn it, guess what? Maybe next year they're trading him after they take two or whatever quarterback is in the top of the field. But see, and therein lies the dilemma. What does playing well mean relative to the people around him? I mean, how are they they going to determine success? Because if he's a 58, 59% thrower and a seven yards per attempt type of guy because he's on his back all the time, it's just like really tough. You know what they're going to do. They're going to send him down the road. But you know what? You get to watch him every day in practice. You get to watch him on Sundays. 
and you will know, you will have a decent idea about whether or not the guy can play in the league. Cardinals didn't think so. Well, there's some additional news. Maybe not news in their offense anyway. We'll coming see. out of Las Vegas, and that's often not a good thing. Uh, this involving Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott. He was in Las Vegas this past weekend for a music festival, handcuffed but not formally arrested or charged. This is courtesy of TMZ Sports. He was seen arguing with his girlfriend in a parking lot early Saturday morning and then talking to members of the event staff when he, as you will see, he shoved the man backward and reportedly pushed him to the ground. His attorney tells TMZ after that video was released that he was released, never arrested or charged. Adam Schefter. There's a lot to say here. Um, For starters, it's unbelievable how just any little thing now becomes the next big thing. Secondly, 10, 12 days ago, we're praising the matured Zeke Elliott for paying for the funeral of a young man who was gunned down in East St. Louis, Jalen McKenzie, and goes and does all the right things there and pays for the funeral. And I'm not saying he did anything wrong there. But why are you touching a security guard? What are you doing out like that? I have no idea what did or didn't happen. But there shouldn't be any video of Zeke Elliott doing anything that could be construed as wrong at such a critical juncture in his life. Everybody has been talking about how he's grown up, he's matured, he's improved. And again, we've seen great signs of that. And then you see something like this. Like, what, what is that? What is that? It's irresponsible. That's what it is. Yeah. And to whom much yeah. is given, much is expected. And, and, and you're absolutely right, Adam. There have been so many signs that have been so encouraging. And I, I, I know I was touched by the gesture of pain for you know, a young boy slain way too early. That, that really was a seminal moment of the offseason, I thought, for Zeke Elliott. And here we are. Less than two weeks later, and I get it. Um, it, it the, the no charges filed, wasn't arrested. But putting yourself in the wrong position too frequently, that unfortunately has been something we've talked about with Zeke on a couple of occasions, and he's only three years into his NFL career. So, some of it, Lewis, just common sense. I mean, we're not, you know, yeah. strike blame. We don't know what happened, but, like, just you put yourself in a bad spot. You don't there, need yeah. to know anything else. You know, look, I mean, let's just be real about it. Sometimes, you know, guys – whether they're 23, 24 like Ezekiel is, whether they're 45, 50 like myself, you know, men, women, whoever it is, you know, you're out, you're in a situation, you get into some kind of confrontation with your significant other, who knows if there's alcohol involved, you know, whatever. But what you're, what you're fast-forwarding to is this. At some point in time, something has to kick into your mind and say this. Just people are watching me. I have a lot at stake here. I need to some something has to click and Not say that's it. it. That's it. I got whether it's you just literally turn and run the opposite direction and tell somebody or have somebody with you say, look, just grab me and get me out of here right now because I'm heading down a road where I'm going to make a bad decision where something's going to be misconstrued and I'm going to be on TMC video and we're going to and I'm going to be being talked about on NFL live. And it's you see people do it all the time. And if there's a pattern where maybe when you're around certain people and this kind of thing happens or you're at certain events and this kind of thing happens, you might want to break that pattern. You might want to get away from those people. You might want to make some life changes. Mm. And everybody, to some degree, has been through it or been in a situation where you've had to make a choice, where you've gone, do I keep going with this or do I stop and just go the opposite direction? And he's going to have to make that choice. Otherwise, the Cowboys are going to make a choice. And maybe they're making one right now in terms of slow playing the contract negotiations, you know, the, the extension. Who, who knows? I'm not speaking for them. It's just one of those things where when you sit there and you watch that video, you can see, man, you just like 
somebody needed to grab him you know or, he, or something needed to when click wa- in his head and say, I got to get going. When you watch- I got to get going. I got to get out of here. When you watch that video, it's decision making. That's right. Yep. Yeah. It's just deci- it's a decision to be there. It's a decision to be out. It's a decision to touch another man. But, you know, These I mean, look, we, we've, all, we've all been out where we have seen people do those kinds of things and they're not Ezekiel Elliott and they're not in the spotlight. And you sit there and, and you know, and we could we could have discussions about them, too. The unfortunate thing for him, though, is obviously to much is given, much is, you know, expected. He's in a different world. He lives his life in a fishbowl. He's the starting running back for the Dallas Cowboys. He's one of the most famous athletes in the United States. He has to remember that, too. That's the thing. He has to remember that and say, hey, look, I've got to go. I got to get out of here. And that has been something that has and that guess, has troubled and some and people in what? terms of being able and, to make that and, decision. And we don't know exactly what did or right. happen. We don't know what led to him shoving that guy. Pushing right. him. But I'll, I'll, I'll just say this. Is this an offseason in which Ezekiel Elliott wants a contract extension? Sure is. Sure. Yes. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. So See, he has to be able to go before he goes to This is not why he wants us talking about That's him. right. Correct. Period. So that's if you're right. the Dallas Cowboys now, Lou, you're in the front office. You're look, about to sit down. Look, it's is that going to give you look, any pause at all? It's one, it's one, of course it's going to give you there pause. You of course you're going to want to talk to him. Of course you're going to look at him. You're going to bring him in. And you're going to be like, okay, far away from these cameras and stuff. What's Zeke, going on? Zeke, come on. I want to pay you. Don't make me look bad. And don't make me afraid to do That's it. That's right. Don't make yourself look bad. That's yeah. right. That's right. Right now, we're back. To football, more AFC hopefuls who are beginning OTAs this week. Let's just start with this. The Chargers, how big is the return of Hunter Henry? Listen, we're talking today about a knee injury to Ruben yep. Foster, right? It was about one year ago. May 22nd. That the Chargers tight end, Hunter Henry, went down with a knee injury that turned out to be a torn ACL. He's come back. He's made it back. He's going to be playing and ready for the season. And he's going to be a factor this season. He was coming on before he suffered that knee injury, May 22nd, one year ago. And had he not suffered that injury, he would have been one of the best tight ends in the league last year. So this season, he'll go back to being one of the best tight ends. You got Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Melvin Gordon. You got quite an offensive attack there in Los Angeles. And you see the yards per reception amongst tight ends. That tells you how good and potent Hunter Henry can be. Which means what field yates from a fantasy perspective in terms of tight ends? Compelling case. He should be the fourth tight end off the board. Obviously, we've got the big three, which is led. I guess you could make your own order, but I think it's led clearly by Travis Kelsey, followed by Zach Ertz, and then George Kittle, who led all tight ends in terms of receiving yards last year. It's going to be quite a gap in terms of where those guys are selected and then where Hunter Henry is eventually selected. But if you're looking for touchdown upside, which is the best thing to do for tight ends, I think Hunter Henry playing in that offense and in the red zone is going to be nightmare to defend. He could be the fourth tight end taken off your draft board. All right. Let's continue then with Marcus Mariota. We've talked about it. Many have suggested – I think I'd be among them that this could be a make or break year. So if that's the case, then what qualifies as success? Now or never right now for Marcus Mariota, Wendy. Here's what it starts with. Staying on the field for 16 games. Although they have a new offensive coordinator, Arthur Brown, it's basically the same offensive system that he ran last year. So there shouldn't be that period of indoctrination where he's learning where everybody's supposed to be and what he's supposed to do. He has to stay on the field for 16 games. It is rare to see a quarterback play out the final year of his contract with Basically nothing in the way, at least that I'm aware of, of, of substantial contract talks. And here we are with Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, also in the same spot. Marcus Mariota needs to stay on the field, and then they've got, they have to be more potent in terms of passing production. I understand there are different ways to skin the cat, and they want to run the football effectively. 
But part of the reason why other teams are able to run the football effectively and still be great on offense is because there's at least a threat in the passing game. There really wasn't much of that in Tennessee last season. Only one playoff appearance in 10 seasons. Now, that's not all on Marcus Mariota. Clearly, no. hasn't been there that long, but it's time, mm-hmm. Lewis. Yeah, it is time for him to get going. And I think Phil hit the nail on the head. Look, Marcus has taken a beating, especially early on in his career, where they really invested in the offensive line and really were a ground-and-pound type of football team. And they were trying to prevent him from those kind of scenes playing out. In, in Tennessee, he does need to stay on the football field. They do need to open up this offense, and they need do need to have the, the perimeter players really develop and come through for him. But Marcus, first and foremost, is going to have to be smart with his decision-making, get the ball out of his hands, not to too, take too many chances with the health of his body. And the defense has to continue to come along, too, and give him more chances, meaning get off the field on third down so he can have more cracks at it to really see what he is so they can decide whether or not they want to invest in him long-term. And that's the question, right? Going into the last year of his contract, what do they do long-term? And I think they have questions about how he's going to play. Otherwise, they wouldn't have traded for Ryan Tannehill this offseason and made him the backup. So they want Marcus Mariota to step forward and be the kind of player they hope and think he can be. But it's been so many injuries that he's had to overcome that they, they don't know whether he can sustain it and stay on the field. It obviously did not come to pass, but NFL teams... Thought Tennessee might be a sleeper quarterback target in the first round. Obviously, they did not go that way. But I was a team people were wondering, maybe it's time to start investing. Again, step one, 16 games. At least stay on the field. Best ability availability. So that's, yeah, that's right. You can't have 16 until you have one. Fair point. (laughs) A number of field teams today in OTAs have new head coaches, several of whom will make their NFL head coaching debut, and that would include. Cincinnati Bengals, who welcomed Zach Taylor after 16 seasons under the direction of Marvin Lewis. So a particularly interesting task, Adam, for Zach Taylor, who takes over a place where someone's been for so long and the culture really set by Marvin Lewis as we say hello from the film room brought to you by Verizon. Well, I think that's the one thing the players have talked about. It's There have been logos put up on the walls. There's new language in the meetings. Everything about the building and the facility and the organization right now seems to have a different feel to it. That's what happens when you bring in a new, young, fresh coach and getting rid of a coach who did a great job there for a long period of time. But it was the same thing over and over. Just like if they got rid of me here at ESPN and they brought in somebody else, it would be different. That's just how it is in life. And so in this particular case, Zach Taylor, I think, has brought a newfound energy and got these guys going in a way that they hadn't been going in recent seasons. You know, he joined us last week on NFL Live. I have to say he seems intent on on just being who he is, mm-hmm. not trying to be Marvin Lewis in any way, not trying to be Sean McVay, just being who he is, which I think will serve him well. Yeah, players see through that. Players see through coaches who are trying to emulate someone else. He cannot be Sean McVay. He has to be Zach Taylor, and Zach Taylor will be good enough Provided that they made the right choice. Look, I think his influence on the offense in particular is where, first and foremost, it's going to be felt. Andy Dalton, we're going to see. Ryan Finley, let's see. The fourth-round pick out of NC State. Will he have the requisite impact on those two players the same way Sean McVay had the impact that he had on Jared Goff? That's what everyone is looking for. You have to make sure this offensive line is squared away. They drafted Jonah Williams in the first round. And they have one of the finest young running backs in the NFL in Joe Mixon. So he's got a lot of things to work with, which has never been the problem at Cincinnati anyway. They've always had talent. All right. Again, a similar situation for Matt Fleur. He will take it. It's a first-time head coach, and he'll take over in Green Bay for Mike McCarthy. The biggest question, though, in this case undoubtedly how he will get on with his future Hall of Fame quarterback, Lewis. Oh, boy, relationships, relationships. Oh boy. We've talked about it a few different times, and that's just where everything is going to 
kind of be centered around on the offensive side of the ball anyway because there weren't any big additions on that side of the ball, either via free agency or the draft, because they don't really necessarily need it. They need to go ahead and continue to develop the young wide receiver core that they have. They have two good running backs. They need Aaron Rodgers to just go ahead and really embrace what Matt is trying to sell him in terms of formation variation, play selection, all those different things that they wanted to have an influx of ideas over Mike McCarthy. Let's see if it pans out. It's about time, right, that they're making a change here, and I think that the quarterback wanted this yep. and gets a chance now to work with somebody new, and I think that this will be a relationship that sorts itself out over time. But this Packers team has got a lot of talent, and it went out, and it did unpacker-like things in free agency. It signed a bunch of free agents, spent a lot of money, was more aggressive. That's a new GM to go along with a new head coach, and again, we're talking about new blood, new transfusion. I think that, that's yeah. happening in Green Bay as well. What's interesting is all that money is spent on the defensive side, which leads you to believe that, look, Brian Gutekinds didn't think that they needed a whole bunch of players on the offensive side. They just needed new ideas. Well, that's where the well, head coach comes in. So we'll see. We'll find out. Yeah. But one way to tell, right? That's why we play the games. Oh, yes, they did. And Pedro Gomez covering the Cardinals. Pedro, it's early. But what are the early takeaways, if you will, from Kyler Murray and OTAs? You know, Wendy, the belief, the strong belief is that general manager Steve Keim needs a very, very big bounce back season from this Cardinals team. So he is if he's going to go down, he's going to go down swinging. That's one of the biggest reasons they decided on taking Kyler Murray with the first overall pick only one year after taking a quarterback. The biggest thing, though, that Keim sees in Kyler Murray, there are three things he really likes about him. One of them is the quick release that he has. That has been a little bit surprising to the team. The other thing is his secondary decision-making so far. Now, granted, he's only been with the rookies up until today. Today is the first time that all the Cardinals players are together on the field. Secondary decision-making is something they really think is going to be a big positive from, for, from Kyler Murray. And lastly, they think he's got the killer instinct, which so many great quarterbacks have always had. So if, if, Murray's able to put those three, those three things together. This could be a very exciting Cardinals team for years to come. However, Wendy, a couple of missing notable players from the first day of minicamp here. Larry Fitzgerald, sometimes he does show up late, and he is a 15-year veteran. He certainly has a lot of latitude. But Patrick Peterson, who we know is facing a six-game suspension to start the season, is not here. Pedro, thank you. The early going so far so good for Kyler Murray. Not the case in the nation's capital where the Redskins have a difficult start to OTAs. Linebacker Reuben Foster went down just minutes into practice. You can see him here pounding the ground, looking very upset. In fact, there were tears and there's no final word, no official word yet. Adam Schefter, but he has undergone an MRI and... The head coach, at the very least, has called the injury concerning. Yeah, and that was uh, the troubling signs here. You saw Ruben Foster go down today on the third play during the organized team activities. He stepped on the foot of an offensive lineman running three-quarters speed at the time, went down, was pounding the ground in pain, crying, was carted off with his left leg in a cast, an air cast. It gives you an idea. Look, all the elements are in place to say that this is a significant knee injury. He is undergoing that MRI. They'll get back the results. We'll find out the full extent of it. But nothing that we've seen or heard or basically observed so far tells you that this is going to be a short-term injury. Another first week of OTAs. Humble reminder, last year on May 22nd, it was both Hunter Henry, the tight end of the Chargers, 
And Paul Warlow, the linebacker of the Eagles, who went down on the very first day of their respective teams. OTAs, both of them missed all of last regular season. Of course, Hunter Henry made miraculous comeback, really, during the playoffs to play a limited role in that Patriots game, but not looking good right now for the Redskins. The concern, of course, is that he would be lost for some significant time. We will say hello now to John Keim, who was at practice today. John, what more can you tell us? Well, we just got out of a press conference with Coach Jay Gruden, who said that they're still awaiting the results of the MRI. So he said he did not want to get too emotional about the possibility of whatever it is, the severity of the injury, until they know the final results. And defensive tackle Jonathan Allen also spoke to us right after Gruden did. He played with um, Reuben Foster at Alabama, and he too said he was looking more forward that he said Reuben, or yeah, Reuben's going to work his butt off to get back, whatever the injury is. So we still don't know the severity of it. But let me set the scene first, because I think it'll explain why people are very concerned about what it might be. This was the third play from the organized team activity workout. It was Foster's first play from scrimmage. As Jay Gruden said, it was just basically a jog through. He went through the gap, stepped on the leg, uh, excuse me, stepped on the foot of guard Tyler Catalina, and then he went down. And Sean Dion Hamilton, one of the other linebackers, said he could hear, all he heard was Foster yell out. And he was down on the ground for about five or six minutes being tended to by trainers while they got the cast on, while they brought the cart over. Team officials were around him. Bruce Allen was around him. The team president, Jay Gruden, was around him. Defensive coordinator, Greg Minuski. Elaine Collins came over to him and later tweeted out that prayer's up. So clearly they know something was, was amiss. Foster then turned and was slamming his fist on the ground. You could hear him crying from where we were, about 20 yards away on the sidelines. And then he left the field. And the air was kind of sucked out of the place for at least temporarily, in part because of that. So we're still awaiting the results, but clearly... They are concerned about what it might be. Well, that concern is certainly understandable, John. Thank you. And again, we will continue to update you as we have official information on the injury to Reuben Foster. Cowboys running back Zeke Elliott in Las Vegas this past weekend. He was handcuffed but not arrested or charged, according to TMZ Sports. After this incident, he was seen arguing with his girlfriend and then somewhat of an altercation with a member of the security staff. He used his body to shove the man and then reportedly push him to the ground. Again, his attorney pointing out that he was not charged. However, uh, the optics of this incident, just not what you're looking for, especially, Shefty, at a time when you're looking for a new deal. Yeah, this is an offseason where Ezekiel Lilly would love to get a new contract, and the Dallas Cowboys would like to sit down and get a new deal for him. But they're going to see this video, and they're going to have questions for him. There are a lot of people looking into this right now to figure out exactly what did and didn't happen. Soon enough, I guess we'll get some more answers. Lewis used the term living in a fishbowl earlier. And I think guys either kind of get it or you don't. And I don't know that right now, at this stage of his career, Ezekiel Elliott understands the ramifications of what the life that he lives is going to be. Yeah, either he himself has to come to the realization or someone around him is going to have to tell him, look, Ezekiel, you're going to have to make decisions that do not leave any doubt in the minds of the decision makers in Dallas. And this is not the kind of thing we're talking about. This is not the good decision making we want to make. Not what we're looking for, but we're back tomorrow. See you then.